0: We are in Mark, chapter 12, starting in verse 28. We're going to read through 34. Again, that's Mark, chapter 12, starting in verse 28. Let's pray. Father, we are... Extremely grateful for your written and preached word. Thank you that uh, you've given us the grace to help us to understand it, obey it, uh, to come to love it. Um, the Lord, at times we know that uh, it is hard to believe, so I pray that you would help our unbelief, that you would strengthen us. And Lord, we are ultimately grateful for your son Christ Jesus, who did love you with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loved his neighbor as his self on our behalf. And for this, we are truly grateful, Christ's name, amen. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Continue our journey today through the Gospel of Mark. Jesus has been in Jerusalem, in the temple area, in the last few weeks. If you've been on vacation or been gone, that's where we have been in Mark's Gospel the last few weeks. And there has been this debate and this challenge as the religious leaders have been trying to trap Jesus. They are wanting to turn the crowds away from Jesus onto their side so that they can safely kill Jesus. That is their strategy. We saw this debate in the temple courts in Jerusalem a few weeks ago. We saw this passage where Jesus uh, is, is debate. They're trying to trap Jesus regarding authority. They are upset that Jesus had come into the temple and overturned the tables and done all of these things. And they're asking him, by what authority have you done these things? And Jesus turned their trap, their question, back around to them. And he said, I'll tell you, but first you tell me, John's baptism, is it from God or is it from man? And these people who know the Bible so well, these theological experts say, we we don't know. And their trap, number one, fails. And so they try trap number two which has to do with paying taxes. Nobody likes to pay taxes, a common thing, right? Have any tax-paying, loving people here? Absolutely. No one loves to pay taxes. And so Jesus is trying to trap them around the tax issue, but not just because they don't want to pay taxes, but because there's this... This mingling of idol worship or Caesar or emperor worship. And we shouldn't, theologically, for theological reasons, we shouldn't pay those taxes. And they try to trap him. And Jesus, again, turns it upside down. And he says, actually, you can worship the one true God and pay these taxes without being an idol worshiper. And you can do both. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And then they try to trap him again. Over the issue of marriage. And this one is kind of absurd and crazy. They talk about a woman whose husband dies. Husband number one. Husband number two dies. Husband number three dies. Uh, Seven husbands. I mean, who, do you know anyone who's had seven husbands die? I mean, this is just a weird trap that they lay for him. And their issue is, who is she going to be married to after the resurrection in the new heavens and the new earth? we want you to tell us implying like if you are, are so crazy that she's going to have seven husbands there is no resurrection is what these religious leaders were trying to say and Jesus again turns their trap upon them and he lets it be known that there is actually going to be no marriage in the new heavens in the new earth after the resurrection that could be good lunch conversation today no marriage that's interesting He brings that to them, and they see his authority, and he doesn't fall for trap after trap after trap, these three traps. And today we come to the final trap, if you will, the final argument in the temple courts. And this one is a little different. Not so much at the beginning, but the scribe, the religious leader that comes to trap Jesus today, has a different heart by the end of this this verbal debate and challenge and trap with Jesus. It's, It's a It's my favorite one of these traps, if you will. It is awesome, the passage that was just read. So let's just dive right into it. We are in Mark chapter 12, and we're going to begin today looking at verse 28. So I've just set the context. We're in the temple courts. These three traps have failed. And so verse 28, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, heard all of these things that I've just described. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, so this is an observant religious leader, observant scribe, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? What is the greatest commandment? What is the most important? Now one commentator, he says this, he says, oh, we have no good reason to think that the scribe approaches Jesus any less antagonistically than did the Pharisees or the Sadducees. We don't have any reason here in the text to think that this guy is, is any more inclined to Jesus' teaching and following than all of the other traps and all of the other religious leaders that have followed him. And evidence from this, if we jump to the last verse in today's section, uh, verse 34, it says, And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. So the text there lets us know that this guy comes kind of in an accusatory way, this scribe. He, he's in the same vein of wanting to trap Jesus as the previous traps that were laid by these religious leaders. And he's asking, of all the commandments, which is the most important, which is the greatest? This is something that was debated and discussed a lot amongst the Jews. One commentator writes this, he says, A distinction between lighter and weightier, smaller and greater commandments was an inevitable feature of Palestinian piety. Since it was traditional to speak of the 613 individual statutes of the law. They had meticulously studied those first five books of the Old Testament, the law. And they have identified 613 individual statutes there. And what the rabbis did, the the leading rabbis, they had debates about what is the most important or how do you summarize these 613 statutes so this is something that was going on long before the first century, long before this question comes to Jesus. I'll just share with you one rabbi's summary, uh, Hillel the Elder. He's, this was his summary. What you yourself hate, do not do to your neighbor. This is the whole law. The rest is commentary. Go and learn it. So that's his summary. And there were other rabbis. I could have had a bunch of slides out here. In fact, I did, but I cut them out so you're not here so long today uh all kinds of different summaries of how you summarize the law what is this all about so i believe this guy is coming with the spirit of entrapment not a spirit of genuine inquiry he's seen jesus masterfully engage these others these other uh, religious leaders and and really not fall for the trap but he comes and says what is the greatest commandment so let's take a look at jesus response you're familiar with this response But I'm praying now and have been praying today that the Lord would use this passage, this very familiar passage, in a fresh way upon you and upon me today. So let's move on and see Jesus' response in verses 29 and 30. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Let's just stop there. This is the beginning of his response. And this would be an anticipated response here. He is... He is reciting a verse from Deuteronomy here that was recited and is recited today by faithful Jews, referred to as the Shema, the Hebrew verb for hear, right at the beginning there. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. In Hebrew, it's Shema, Yisrael, Adonai, Eloheinu, Adonai, Ehad. And for many centuries, readers have replaced the sacred name of God, Yahweh, with the Hebrew word Adonai, which is the word for Lord, so as not to take the Lord's name in vain, even when we're reciting scripture, they would substitute Adonai, or Lord, for this sacred name of God, Yahweh. So this is not a surprise here, the way Jesus responds right at the beginning. He he responds by saying this, this radical truth that The covenant-keeping Israelites worship one God. They are radical monotheists, and so are we. And this is the beginning of the greatest commandment, and they are expecting this. Now, it's easy to just move right on beside this, but one of the reasons this is so important and this is so fundamental to the summary of the entire law is you and I have a tendency to worship other things besides the one true God. We either bring them up right alongside God, or sometimes we just like totally displace him, and our hearts and affections are going for other things, we call them idols, in the place of God. But we must worship only one God. So this summary is one that is expected, but it is full of application for us as well, because we have a tendency, functionally, to worship perhaps our cars, our houses, Our spouses, our children, our grandchildren, our boyfriends, our girlfriends, our jobs, certain places, vacations, hobbies, all kinds of things that compete in our hearts for allegiance, for for what we really care about, what we're really passionate about, what we really worship, what we really love. So Jesus responds in a way initially here that's highly anticipated with Deuteronomy 6, that God is one. Then he moves on, continuing in Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Now we have somewhat of uh, a mild surprise here in the way Jesus recites this. Because if we look at English translation of of the Hebrew text here in Deuteronomy 6, First part, Jesus says that just just the same way it is in both the the Hebrew scriptures and in the Septuagint, the Greek translation that the early church was very familiar with. But here, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Notice something a little different? What's different? You can talk to me, church. Oh, the mind. So he added an element. He added an element here. So this would cause some attention. Now, there's all kinds of ink spilled about that, that he's added mind. And, and I don't think it's because Jesus all, Jesus wants us all to be hyper, super intellectuals. He just simply is adding this element and the spirit of this text is, is the same. He's not trying to divide the Holy Spirit inspiring. This passage isn't necessarily trying to divide just into heart and soul and strength and exclude mind or here emphasize mind. This is the spirit of just we are called to love God with absolutely everything that we have, with our intellect, with our emotions, with our heart, with our thoughts. This is the heart of the law. This is the heart of God, to love God with everything that we have. There is a little bit of surprise now beginning. We are to worship him with all that we have. Now this, is, this is hard for us now. This is is difficult. Uh, Many days, uh, I don't know uh, about you, but many days I uh, wake up and don't really have a ton of passion to love Jesus with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's just not there. I just don't have it. And so we have to think through that. Why don't we have it? Why don't I have this? This is the greatest commandment. This is really important. There's one God, no other, putting all their idols in their place. And God wants us to love him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. This is difficult. It's challenging. In fact, let's say it's impossible apart from his grace. It comes naturally for me to get up and get excited about certain things uh, in life. Maybe a mountain bike ride. On a cool morning uh, where I don't have a deadline, don't have to get somewhere, it just kind of comes natural for me to, to, to love that and to want to do that. And it's a good thing. But it doesn't come naturally for me to just wake up with this passion to love God with, with every fiber of my being, with my intellect, with my heart, with my emotions, with, with all that I am. And so I think part of our response to this, this is such a familiar passage, but a big part of our response to this passage is we need to be people that cry out to God to ask him to give us by his grace this heart that we will love him. I mean, it, it's obvious when you spend time with people, it's obvious what they love. When people spend time to you, is it obvious to them that you love Jesus with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength. And I'm saying this this morning not to make you feel guilty if you're going, no, probably not. People that look at me probably don't say that. The good news of the gospel is this morning, Jesus would say to you, Re- just repent and, and right now ask for God to change your heart so that you would have a longing to love him that way instead of X, Y, and Z. Maybe we can c- continue loving X, Y, and Z, but we put them in their place what is the greatest commandment? That God is one and that we are to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But we are a lot like the religious leaders. And we have tendencies, you and I do, to just kind of come up with things that we need to do that we can check off, and now we've kind of appeased our own consciences and we can can move on. They did that in trying to summarize the law and having checklists and have a variety of things that we need to do. We, we have these same tendencies. Some of you are familiar with um, accountability questions. You know what I'm talking about when I say that? Raise your hand. Some of you have used these. I've used these. Just share one set of accountability questions that have been around. Th- these, if you're not familiar with this, is a common thing in our Christian culture for small group of guys or small group of ladies to get together and to ask each other uh, accountability questions. Let me just run through there's there's 10 here. Have you spent daily time in the word and prayer? Have you had any flirtatious or lustful attitudes, tempting thoughts, or exposed yourself to any explicit media which would not glorify God? Have you been completely above reproach in your financial dealings? Have you spent quality relationship time with your spouse, children, friends? Have you been slothful in your daily occupation? Have you told any half-truths or outright lies, putting yourself in a better light to those around you? For whom are you praying that does not yet know Christ? Have you taken care of your body through daily physical exercise and proper eating sleeping habits? Have you allowed any person or circumstance to rob you of your joy? Have you lied to me or us on any of your answers today? So we in our Christian culture, develop questions like these, and I'm not wanting to just shoot these down. I've used these to profit in my own life. But I'm trying to highlight the tendency that, uh, sadly, we are kind of like the religious leaders, and and although we're not trying to summarize the law here, we're like coming up with trying to codify exactly how it is we're supposed to do this Christian life. And we can easily come up with 10 questions like this and, and have a spirit like, take number seven okay i'm meeting with my brothers and we get together uh for whom are you praying it doesn't yet know christ okay that's the person i'm praying for check okay and move on with my day so these a series of questions like these and there's a whole bunch of them again i cut some out i had other examples i could have put up here today going back to john wesley and others the whole when the only way that that those kinds of questions become valuable and rich and beautiful is if they are coming out of a heart that loves Jesus more than anything else and we 're dependent upon His grace that we are not coming out of out of obligation out of duty but but all of those questions are with a longing to love Jesus and love God more than anything else in the world so it 's not whether we use accountability questions or not, but it 's the spirit with which we Use those or summarize things. Are you tracking with me today? Are you with me, what I'm saying? So we worship God out of a heart of love, not of duty. This is what I'm trying to say this morning in summarizing Jesus' summary of the entire law. We worship one God out of a heart of love, not out of duty, not out of expectations, not out of checking off boxes. We we respond to God passionately, Out of delight, not out of a sense of duty. So that's through verse 30. Let's come back to the passage here and look at verse 31. The second is this. This is where we had a mild surprise in verse 30. Now we're getting to a more serious surprise. Something that's not anticipated by the religious leaders. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So here's the surprise part. They're looking for a single commandment, a single summary. What is the most important commandment is the way the NIV renders it in 28. And Jesus understands they're looking. He's looking, the scribe, for a singular answer, a singular summary. But Jesus goes to a second. And the second one is loving your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. There is no commandment singular greater than these. So Jesus is linking together this vertical and horizontal aspect of living out our faith. They must go together. They are a unit. You cannot genuinely love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength without loving your neighbor as yourself. If you intellectually say, yeah, I believe in one God, and yes, I, I love God, but you actually don't love your neighbor as yourself, you are not a believer. Now, we all have moments where we don't love our neighbors. We are all sinners. But the, Jesus is teaching the inextricable connectedness of the vertical and horizontal aspects. And the religious leaders would be surprised at this point. This is because there is a fundamental otherness at the very heart and character of God and he is saying that the followers of Christ not only are to love God with all of our heart but we are to love our neighbors we are to have as God does this this essence of otherness to ourselves so we worship him genuinely when we love our neighbor and we'll talk more in a few minutes about who our neighbor actually is But let me say something, and I've said this before, about this fundamental otherness or loving someone else, loving our neighbor that goes to the very heart of God. We see this in John chapter 3. The father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. I I put this up here just for us to see the intra-Trinitarian love The love, if you will, that the Father has for the Son. And the Son has the same love for the Father. And the Spirit has the same love for Christ. And Christ has the same love for the person of the Holy Spirit. There is this incredible otherness that goes to the very core of who our God is. So we have this radical monotheism, if you will. But God, in his very essence has an other orientation of love toward the other persons within the Godhead. We see this in John chapter 17, as Jesus is praying to the Father. And in verse 5, he says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So this is like mind-boggling stuff, thinking about the intra-Trinitarian relationships of the persons of the Godhead before the universe was created. But before that, the Father, Jesus is praying, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So there was this glorying going on between the persons of the Godhead before the world was even created. There was this other orientation. This is an incredible thing, and and and. Massive implications here about community and massive implications about us being like God in loving others as we love ourselves. So we worship God genuinely when we love our neighbors as ourselves, when we have this other orientation that's that's at the very heart of, of who God is in his essence and in his character. The false gods of the world don't have this other orientation. Allah is a false god, but Allah doesn't have other persons within the Godhead to love and glory in. Our God is is beautiful and has this other orientation, and he is longing for his people to love him with all of our heart, and inextricably connected to that is loving others. So, uh, this, this passage um, is coming out of the Old Testament as well, and we'll talk more in a moment about what um, the definition of a neighbor is in addition to the one who is nearby you. We'll look at that in a moment, but I want to give you a picture, an image of what other orientation or loving your neighbor looks like in the context of, of a marriage relationship. We, I have a video we're going to show you it's a few minutes long and they say a picture's worth a thousand words i'm not sure what a video's worth but my prayer is that we as we watch this that that the lord would use it to help us long to have an other orientation whether that's toward a spouse or a friend or someone distant from you that you would love let's go ahead and take a look at this
2: I love my husband. I love him even though his snoring wakes me up every morning. So I'll scare him away. (laughs) Food Network says you should only put one item in your eggs. But Louie likes everything in them, because it's how his mom made them. He calls it eggs with everything. <laughs> I call it gross. But that's how he loves them. And I do all the laundry. Because my mom told me that a man with dirty clothes is a man that's not loved by his wife. Yeah I know it's old-fashioned but now his whites are always white and all his co-workers will know he's loved. He always promises to do it next time but I'll never let him okay. and I know he loves me because every time I head off to work I feel him watching me leave.
3: Still.
2: One of my favorite things is my commute to work. It's my time to myself, and it lets me clear my head before the stress of the day. going blind a rare disease I can barely pronounce is taking away my vision and I will probably lose my whole career over it I won't be able to scare Louie anymore wake up What am I supposed to tell him?
3: Oh, no, okay. I can't make his silly eggs with everything.
2: the people he works with are going to think I stopped caring about him.
3: Just talk to me, okay? I don't want to talk about it right now. It's just like, come on. Come Something is going wrong. Something is wrong. You're no, not I'm talking fine. to me. Please tell me what's going on.
2: And now, when all I want to do is breathe and walk to work alone... I can't because they won't let me How do you tell the person you love that you're going blind? I can't help but think that I'm becoming his patient, not his partner. Maybe he'd be happier with someone else, someone who won't be a burden.
3: She doesn't want my help. I want to wake up every morning and tell her that I love her. That's all going to be okay. But she doesn't want to hear any of it. I wish I could do all the cooking, but she insists on doing it on her own. figured out the laundry. She still insists on going to work and taking the bus alone. My heart stops every time I think about her crossing the streets of downtown. No, she doesn't want me to. I follow her every day without her knowing. Because that's what true love is, right? It is more than just a feeling. It's an action. Cecilia will never know how much I do for her, and I don't ever need her to know. That's how I still love her, even though she doesn't.
1: Love is more than a feeling, it's an action. Love is more than ascribing to a theological doctrine that God is one, that Jesus is God. It has an other orientation to it. The essence of the law, the essence of the gospel is loving God, not out of a sense of duty, but loving him with all that we are and loving others as ourselves. This is a beautiful picture of other-oriented love, Loving our neighbor. This is how Jesus is summarizing. We are to live. These 613 commandments, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is quoting Leviticus, the law again here. He's quoting Leviticus 19. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against any one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. But Jesus does something in the Gospels, not in Mark's Gospel, but in the Gospels, he does something in expanding radically who our neighbor is. Our neighbor includes our spouse, our family members, those in the community of faith. That's how Leviticus 19 was understood. You see it there, against one of your people. A faithful Jew in the first century understood loving your neighbor as yourself, as loving other people people who, who are in our faith community, other Jews or those Moabitesses or whomever have come into our community and are Jews in spirit. That Those are our neighbors who we are to love as ourselves. But Jesus radically expands who our neighbor is in the Gospels. We don't have time to go through the whole passage today, but many of you know what I'm thinking about right now. Luke chapter 10 and one of the most familiar passages that has pervaded our society, not just the church, with with this phrase, the Good Samaritan. Jesus tells this story, just to summarize it, you know the story. There is a half-dead guy alongside the road. That guy is Jewish. The religious leaders pass by and do not help him, do not care for him, do not show compassion for him. They do not love him. And then a Samaritan, someone from a... Another racial group that has hatred back and forth. We have this going on in our society today. This racial hatred. Have you guys been seeing this in the news? Are you guys awake? Are you with me today? Have you guys had your news? Channels on anything? So this was going on in the first century too. And Jesus uses this story to help expand The understanding of Leviticus 19 to a new level of righteousness and expectation and and the superiority of the new covenant is, is established in this expansion of who is our neighbor. He uses a Samaritan who comes by and shows this lavish grace and puts him up in this beautiful place and spends all this money and just shows massive love to someone who is from this other race and and other religious background that we often hate each other and avoid each other, but the Samaritan loves the Jew. And Jesus says, who was the neighbor to this half-dead guy? It was the one who showed him mercy and grace and compassion, and he says to us to go and do likewise. It is so fundamental to our faith, so fundamental to the very character of our triune God, this other orientation, and loving our neighbors, including our spouses, including our family members, including those who are part of our community of faith, but loving those who are most desperate, this is kind of what's underscored in the New Testament. This is this is what the gospel underscores is what it means to love our neighbor is to identify the one who is most desperate and most needy and most poor and to love them. That person in your family that no one wants to have over for family meals. That person coming that their name coming to your mind right now, that is the person that God wants you to love. That kid at school who is so easy to tease or to mock or to stay away from or to put down or to bully, that is the one that Jesus wants you to love and go out of your way, to love your neighbor as yourself. We worship God genuinely when we are doing it not out of a spirit of obligation but out of a spirit of god help me to love you with all my heart soul mind and strength and help me to love my neighbor as myself tim Tim keller writes this about the good samaritan passage in luke 10 he says by depicting a samaritan helping a jew jesus could not have found a more forceful way to say that anyone at all in need regardless of race politics class and religion is your neighbor I would say it even stronger that we are called to go out of our way to find people of a different race, of different political persuasions, of a different class or economic standing, a a whole different worldview in life, and to love them for the sake of Jesus and to bring our Father glory, to be like him with this other orientation. Let's come back to the passage here, just a few more verses and, and we'll finish up. So I said there was something different about this religious leader than the other traps, these other three arguments that were laid for Jesus, these other debates in the temple environs. And so let's look at his response. Jesus has summarized it. What is the greatest commandment? Look at verse 32. Well said, teacher, the man replied, you are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him, to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength. to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. This scribe, this religious leader, he seems to understand now, as Jesus has just overturned the tables in the temple area. He seems to understand that the temple is going to go away, that the burnt offerings and sacrifices are going away that they were all in anticipation of that ultimate final Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world, he paraphrases Jesus' teaching. So this final trap, this final question, the teacher of the law, unlike the other teachers of the law, unlike the Pharisees and Sadducees and Herodians in the previous entrapments who are ready to kill Jesus, this one turns, this one repents, this one sees that Jesus is teaching the truth of God. And so we have a note of hope here that not all of those religious leaders are going to turn to kill Jesus, but some of them are going to turn and follow Jesus. Verse 34, when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Well, he doesn't say anything like that to the other people who were trying to trap him. You are not far from the kingdom of God. And I think what he's after there is, I am about to die. I am about to be raised on the third day. And you are very near that event, that center event in all of history. And you are very near believing the gospel. He just hasn't died and, and been raised yet. That's, that's the only thing that's missing here. From then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. God is speaking to us this morning through his word that we would not be people who worship God out of obligation and check boxes, but that we would be a people who long to love him with all that we are. And the validity and the honesty and the integrity of that love is shown up and is inextricably connected to us loving our neighbors. Let's bow our heads this morning and ask God to help us to love him and love our neighbors this way. God, we thank you for your grace and for your Holy Spirit that helps us to love people that are so difficult to love, like this half-dead Jewish guy being loved by the Samaritan. God, we thank you for opportunities that you put in our way for us to go across the street and, and to love those who no one else wants to love. Lord, help us to be that kind of people. Lord, I pray right now that you would be bringing people to our minds, whether those people are in our families, in our church, our spouses, or whether those people are far away from our daily existence. But we know that you've called us to love them. Help us, God, to take those steps and to love them. We ask this in Jesus' name.